0: Kaiju FM. Come find your niche. Welcome to the latest episode of The Prestige A podcast for people who love movies Made by people who love movies themselves I'm Sam, I'm a teacher, academic type, writer um, I've lectured in universities, taught in schools And I work at a Sick Film college um, Teaching literature He's Rob, he's a podcaster, editor, author any number of things. I'd ask, him, ask him today, he's probably started a new career. Um one one of his many careers he spent um, about a decade in the film business at the the cutting edge as it were of the practical parts of the film business. So the idea is that I know stuff about theory from learning and that. And he knows lots about the practice. So we aim to bring those perspectives to talking about different films. And we take a different film, one film each week. And we look at it in terms of its themes and ideas and relationships to context and other things like that. And we're into our fourth season now. And we're focusing on um, various sub-genres, various genres, sub-seasons. And the genre we're looking at at the moment that bring to a close this week is the heist genre. More about that in a minute. Each episode we give some recommendations for things to watch based on the film we've been talking about. And we kick off by... Discussing what else we've been watching since we last recorded. So, Rob, what about you?
1: So, I've got two things that I uh, want to talk about this week, and they are wildly different films, but both of equal, equal, both of high standing. One is a not a very old film, but certainly an old film that I have just not seen until this point, and that's the 2003 film *Master and Commander: The Far Side of the World*. This is a Russell Crowe, Paul Bettany, Napoleonic War, Ship Drama. It's one of those films that I just, I missed when it came out and I just never took the time to go and see it again. It just always seemed to be like second or third of my list to watch and I never got there. And I thought, you know what? I'm going to finish it off. I'm just going to finish it off and watch it. And so last week I sat down and I watched the whole thing and it blew me away. And I'm genuinely annoyed at myself. It took me 17 years to watch this film. It is fabulous, a film. It is gritty and intense and Russell Crowe, he can be up and down, but he's very, very much up here, as is Paul Bettany, as is the host of stars around them many of whom for this piece be their only credit it's just really i hate to use the word but realistic but it's a gritty emotional take on this napoleonic war era you know i was raised on the sharp show and i've watched a little bit of hornblower it's that kind of era it's such a well done movie and the ship battles are as tense as anything else it hasn't got the cartoonish nature of something like um I don't know, pirates uh, Parts of the Caribbean, it's not that. But it is It's serious and heartfelt and wondrous at the same time. It is funny, and I just can't say nothing about it. My second recommendation is a film that's much more up to date from last year. It's a British black comedy, I suppose you might call it, called Get Dute, which is about four erstwhile young men who get sent on a uh, Duke of Edinburgh award. Um, hike in the Scottish mountains and end up being chased by three or four or five or six deranged landowners. Um, and it's about this collision of uh, the hip hop infused youth versus these slightly mad tweed wearing sort of lords. Um, it is incredibly funny. It is incredibly well acted. It is silly it's in the kind of Shaun of the dead grabbers kind of that kind of vibe of a movie it's very british in that respect it's on prime video now and i just genuinely it, was just, it just had me rolling around in laughter um in a very good way what about you sam
0: last week talked the last time talked about a netflix series i'm watching it's another netflix series and it's the i mean this has been heavily promoted in recent days, it's the new series The Queen's Gambit now I sp- I would hesitate to recommend this because people will look at this and think, well I don't want to watch anything about chess I don't care about that and it would be disingenuous for me to say this is not about chess but it's not about chess no, <laughs> it um it, it certainly helps if you're interested in chess and you know something about the moves that could take place but this is way above the level of anything that i've been exposed to before and um, this is about sort of masters and grandmasters and people at the very top of the game and um in that respect, it is about chess. In another another respect, it's very definitely not, because it's about a central female character, and it's about the, the fact that she has to make her way in a predominantly, well, overwhelmingly masculine world in, in the 1960s. And it's also about she's an orphan, and she loses her mother in a car crash, She's very young and it's about how she comes to terms with that um, and how she channels the trauma as a result of that into her later life, into her chest. It's also about addiction because for most of the series, the only way that she can be good and focused, as she believes, is to be addicted to drugs and alcohol. And it's just fascinating. So, yes, it is about chess, and it does help if you know a little bit about it, but it's about so much more than math. It's about addiction and trauma and um, gender in the 1960s, and it's just, it's very well done. The acting is brilliant. Taylor Joy carries it. She's only, what, 24, 25, and she is just fantastic. And it's brilliantly shot and edited and I kind of want... I've seen reviews of it that says, well, it's a a thin story stretched out into longer than that. But I don't agree with that at all and it was only seven episodes long and I kind of wanted more. So Queen's Gambit, absolutely
1: brilliant. Excellent. I, I used to play chess when I was a younger man so I may check that out at some point as Sam mentioned earlier we are wrapping up tonight our heist mini season Um, we've looked everything through from the earliest examples in things like Rafifi all the way to where we are now and we're wrapping up with the 2018 film Widows you have no idea do you or did you choose not to know Your husband stole two million dollars from me. This is about my life. This is about my life. And because it's about my life, it now becomes about yours. My family's been involved in Harry's life for many years. I need help. I don't see what I can do. Our husbands aren't coming back. We're on our own. My husband left me the plans for his next job. All I need is a crew to pull it off. Why should we trust you anyway? Because I'm the only one standing between you and a bullet in your head. What I've learned from men like your late husband, and my father, is that you reap what you sow. Let's hope so.
0: This is for guns. Guns? From where? Figure it out. If this whole thing goes wrong, I want my kids to know that I didn't just sit there and take it, I did something.
1: The best thing we have going for us is being who we are. Why? Because no one thinks we have the balls to pull this off. Widows is a remake of a British ATV 80s TV series by Steve McQueen. It tells the tale of four women who lose their husbands um, as part of a bank robbery and are forced to, slash choose to, take on those roles and become bank robbers themselves, set against the backdrop of a uh, Alderman Ward elections in Chicago. It's got... Fiona Davis as the main um, widow, as it were, but with great support from other widows, Michelle Rodriguez, um, Elizabeth Debicki, and various people. Uh, Liam Neeson pops up as the now-deceased husband of uh, Viola Davis. And the film touches on ideas of race, of class, of Debt and of many other things. It was hailed at the time as one of the best films of 2016, 2018, Um, and it comes off the back of Steve McQueen producing some very well respected films like Shame and Hunger and that kind of thing. Sam, how did you find it?
0: I was blown away by this film. I thought it was utterly brilliant. And I mean 2018 was a busy year for me so it's understandable that it did pass me by but it certainly did pass me by, I heard nothing about it and so I went into it entirely cold and not knowing what to expect and it was brilliant Um, I should say at this point that if you haven't seen this film and you care about seeing this film then stop listening now because mm-hmm. we're going to very quickly start spoiling things, and the first thing that I want to spoil is, I I was really surprised when Liam Neeson was a much bigger character than he is presented at the beginning, and I yes. thought I yeah. thought that was really good.
1: It was a well done. It was a well done mm. twist, certainly within the story. Um, I'm I'm going to actually come out against you a bit here sam okay i thought this film was okay but that was the limit of it now i'm well aware that i feel against type a little bit because this film is well respected and well rewarded by a lot of people i think there are parts of this film that are amazing i think the interplay between the widows and the character arcs particularly of of davis but also of um, I think they're brilliantly well done. There's some real nuance to them. Um, and I think that the film does some amazing work in trying to humor people. Even people like Colin Farrell, who plays this kind of corrupt politician, mm. still works to give him depth. I think if I'm being entirely honest, I deeply hated um, the character of Jitambe, the brother of the um, politician He felt like he belonged in an entirely different film, there was he was just i didn't know why in the film and i think as i expressed previously my tolerance runs low for films where we just watch bad people do bad things mm. um and they didn't feel with his role particularly that the film was saying anything or doing anything he was just this supposed to be this boogeyman uh who was hunting them down but he didn't have the kind of the boogeyman s feel you bet from, even from like a slash film or a horror film and he didn't have the opposing said like um no country for old men where you have uh, joe adem's character there who had something to him that this he just felt like he belonged somewhere else and i just didn't didn't gel with him i felt the film probably is about half an hour too long i think the film spent a long time getting going I think about an hour in and I was bored out of my mind. It got very good towards the end. And I think that's why I gave it three stars out of five, because I think there are parts of this film that are outstanding. And I would lay almost all of that at the widows. And I even think Liam Neeson for the, what he does is very good in this. And I think a lot of people in this film are very, very good, but a large parts of it just didn't come together for me as a whole. And, I think there's a you know an hour and a half, hour and fifty minute tight cut of this movie that is a lot strong. I think it's no that this started off as a mini-series, a TV series. Mm. And I can see that working, see that coming together, all these things they're trying to pull together. It just felt somehow rushed and too slow at the same time. Um that being said. I think there's some very good bits in this, and I think the film is saying a lot of very interesting things. And I think of all the heist films we've watched up until this point in this series, this is the first that really interrogates a lot more ideas and themes, be they about class, about race, about grief, about prejudice, about the you know the toxic nature of patriarchy and all these things but it is trying to say something I think that's to be rewarded I think that's to be highlighted but mm. as a piece of entertainment I think I was lukewarm on it
0: that's interesting but unsurprising because the moment you said that I thought well actually I'm not surprised with that at all because the comparison that I would reach for and it's not a recommendation i made but I was just thinking that the comparison is something Really beautiful, but about terrible people doing terrible things that I love and you perhaps don't is twenty one grams. I feel mm. there are moments in this film like that, and you have the the I mean the unutterable beauty of the cinematography at the same time as it being really quite bleak. Mm. And I'm I'm thinking, I was thinking in particular about yeah, there's there's that camera shot where. Jack and Siobhan are travelling in the car and having this conversation. Colin Farrell's having this argument mm. about, um, about the election and the camera doesn't focus on them at all. It's a camera mounted on the bonnet. And it felt like there are lots of moments in this film and in something like 200 Grams that it is about things not looking directly at the camera and being around mm. the edges of things. And I really like that. And I'm I can I can see actually talk, giving that comparison, it's something maybe you wouldn't get on board with. Um I just gotta stick up for Jatem because well, actually maybe it's just cause I love Daniel Kaluuya. Um, As
1: do I. I think he's a brilliant actor. <laughs> I just and I think I think I was like he played the role given to him very well. Mm. I just felt he belonged in a different film.
0: Yeah. I I just think I, I agree with you up until the final scene when you th- well the, the final scene that he's in when he dies and you just think oh that's what this is about it's uh, like it's, it's someone who presents himself as a boogeyman and as um, sort of all conquering and the hitman and he's coming after them and he's smarter than them and he's bigger than them and he's clever than them and he's stronger than them and he's always going to win and then he's his life is ended by something so ordinary. I mean, it's just, it's basically a hit and run. And you just mm. think, well, he he is only human. And he's been presented, the, the character has been presented as this sort of large life antagonist. And you think, well, actually, what this is about, is just showing just how human this character is.
1: I suppose I, I agree, I agree, and I think that's where, like, cause the earlier scene with Jamal and Veronica, when he turns up and threatens her and says, you bring me the money, um, otherwise, or else. Like, he's threatening there, and Jamal is printed as his ex-crime boss. And I just felt that, I don't know, I just felt like it was a really waste of opportunity. Like, this whole thing at the end where he's in the car suddenly, and Bell's out at gunpoint. And it's resolved within two minutes, with one shove from another car, it just felt Yeah. It felt kind of like an ignoble end to this character. And I appreciate this film is going for a certain aesthetic that means you aren't gonna have a shootout, you know, it isn't it is not an action film. Hmm. It, it no, as much as this film feel for me evokes memories of things like Heat, it is in no way that kind of movie. It just felt empty in the way that other other endings of people's stories in this film felt important, even if they were really small, such as, you know, when Linda stands in her store again. Like, it's a really small moment, but it felt earned and felt huge and big, and this didn't. Um And even the the weird voiceover in which they talk about Jack Mulligan winning the election because his dad was simply because his dad got getting killed. Like, you felt in that moment... You felt the pain and the regret of him and Jamal and their journey they're going on. It had an ending. And Tembe just felt like he was this guy who was supposed to be scary and then wasn't, and I didn't get it. Anyway, I don't want to dwell too much. I think, I, say, I think the film is doing some very interesting things. Um, especially, I think you highlighted this in our pre-chat about the ideas of grief and loss. Mm.
0: And
1: that, that is... In many ways, the driving force of a lot of the characters in this and the loss in the wider sense is drives a lot of the characters in this and it drives them forward. It is the animus to them, even things such as Jack Mulligan and his father. Like, Tom Mulligan goes on about Custer's Last Stand and the idea that, that this this ward that he's he, he views that he's martial and protected, he's losing. He's a deeply. Racist man clearly, um, and he's losing this ward that he sees as his, and the only way to keep it what he wants to is to be in power, and a lot of the fear of that character comes from his fear of loss, mm. and losing what he feels he's built, whereas Jack feels much happier to step away from that and be his own man.
0: Yeah, I think what what what's really why what really throughout this film, and really enjoyed about this film is the way that that sort of overarching theme of loss is reflected in the way that it's shot, and although it, it is often not a very nice experience watching the film, it's it can be quite a bleak one. It can be one that makes you, well, makes you yearn for something. I think there's there's something to be said for the way this film makes the audience feel this sense of loss. makes the audience feel the grief. And it's even that, that sort of... The, the way that a camera shot was presented with the, the camera on the bonnet of the car the, and the editing, the way that you never quite get anything in, in frame. There's something not quite right about that. There's something... There's an element of that that's about loss and about you being deprived of something.
1: That's very, very true that the film... Puts you at a distance in many times from what's mm. going on. You see things, you know, the, the, as much as this film tries to present some sort of you know, depiction of reality, many of it's framed in what we would consider unreal and distant and disjointed manners um, to create that feeling of loss, and that creating of distance that we have from the audience. You know that there's a the shots you see of um, uh, Veronica where she feels like in the corner of the frame, which he feels distant from each other. Now I am going to say, I I have worked with Steve McQueen previously. I worked on his film hunger way back in the day. Um, And in that, there's a very infamous, like 14 minute take of two people talking over a table and it's shot incredibly widescreen. So he's always been one who played with this kind of framing, the framing, telling a story as much as the word and the action do. Mm. Um, And I think the film does do that very well. And I think, I do like the way that all of the widows handle their loss in different yeah. ways. And the film spends time looking at how they deal with that, um, particularly obviously, in, in the character of um, Alice and in Veronica and how their loss of their lives and what that means, how it manifests and how they try and move beyond that. And like, it's a silly thing, but the, the, the very last shot of the movie is Veronica smiling. Mm. Which you have since her husband, in brackets, passed away, you haven't seen. She's like incredibly stern-faced. The the, the other co- characters commenting a lot, and they call her some horrible names for her for her pavia um, But she is she's stone-faced. She's stone-cold. She's a professional. And there's a really nice moment at the end where the journey they go on frees them. Mm. Um it frees them from their lives, but also it frees them from their loss. That by going through this this heist, it's the cathartic experience that they um they needed to move on from that pain in their life and rebuild something of theirs. You know, all of these women have had these men take things from them, whether it's their their shop, whether it's their self-esteem and their independence, or it's, it's their, their whole lives get lost with these men and this self-actualization they go through by doing this heist and becoming these people who have done this heist and in some cases kill the person or killed people that frees them from that you know the, the person that Alice is at the end when you see her having her coffee with her friends in which she's clearly having brunch with some friends is a very different person to who you see at the start with her and her mother who is a horrible piece of work mm. Like the, the journey they go on, and even if someone like Linda's journey is cyclic, like it starts in a shop and ends in a shop, the whole world that she's on her axis, that the shop that she thought was hers, and she goes through this, this whole grief process of losing that shop, she comes back and now it's hers. And that's the journey of this movie. And that's why I think that very often we talk about the heist movies about how they go through the heist for a new life, for betterment, to escape the um, confines of where they are. And that's certainly still true here, but I think I've never seen the emotional escape writ so large before.
0: That's really interesting, because I I was thinking about that the just before the ending with Veronica and Harry, and Veronica shoots Harry, and I was thinking that, that I mean, even when Veronica has effectively won, because she's got the money, she has lost, because she's lost her husband. Mm. But then... So, so that's all about losing, in that, so then, and that's sort of a negative emotion. And then I was just thinking, as you say, it's it's not really about loss at that point. She cries and she's sad, but she's free of something. Mm. Harry's already dead. Harry Harry died when, not not the moment when. He, he was pronounced dead or the moment when she shoots him, but in between, when she realises that he's lied to her and he's cheated and he's still alive, and it was that moment that he died. And you just think, well, this process, this process that she's gone through, through, like you said, it's an escape.
1: It's, it's that, that, they say, that the, se- the seventh stage of grief. It's the acceptance, is that last phase. And her shooting Harry is the acceptance of everything that's happened and the acceptance that she can't go back that him being alive doesn't change everything that's happened. It doesn't change who she's become. It doesn't change all the truth she now knows. Because there is there isn't another playing of that film where he turns up and they ride off together. No. Because that's an option. But it, it, She here, she's accepted who she is, and at the end when she gets the, gives the money to have the, the library named after her son, like she her grief and her loss over losing her son... She reaches a point of acceptance of having his bi- his name on a building. Um, so I, I do think I think you're right there. Like that's a, a real moment of closure for her.
0: They're losing her son is so sad, and you think that had really conflicting emotions about the Liam Neeson character in the film because he is obviously horrible, and what he does to her is terrible, and just there, there's no redeeming because of that, but. And then you think of those moments where it's explained why he's done that, or you get something about why he can't be with her. You just yeah. think there's part of me that thinks, well, I understand that as much as I hate him as much as i if you're a person i wouldn't if wouldn't an actual person I wouldn't get on with him at all. There's just that moment that you can empathise with him and, and it's around that grief about his son.
1: Yeah, and I think it is... I mean, you've you got to see that he lost his son and then, it's strongly implied, got another mm. one pregnant. He wouldn't have had another child somewhere else. And there is an element there of kind of unable to move on this, that he, he's unable to process his grief and to do what Veronica did in terms of going through a process and coming to terms with it and coming out the other side he couldn't do that and that's what led to this downward spiral of where he got to he couldn't move beyond the grief
0: yeah it's a good point it's not just about the widow's differing reactions to loss it's about the different genders reaction to loss and you're right that he Mm. can't process it in the way that she does
1: that she can't Sam, do you have some minutes for us?
0: Yes, um, and I've got three this week. One is related to the director. You've already mentioned a couple of his films, um, and I wanted to talk about the conceivably the most famous of his films, 2013, 12 Years a Slave, uh, based on the um, <sighs> Memoirs of Soren Northrop is fairly unflinching at times, but it's it's well worth watching, and I think everyone does need to watch it. Um, from well, not from the sublime to ridiculous, because this is a good film as well. But from a film about an incredibly serious topic to an unavowedly, admittedly silly film. Is 2015 the Man from Uncle, which is, and I describe it, so It is just enjoyable, and everyone in it, no one in it, seems to take himself too seriously. And it is perfectly tongue in cheek, and it's well done. It's a fairly faithful remake of the original series, and it's just, it's just a nice period piece. And I quite want to go and watch it now. Because it's just fun um, And finally I don't think I could Talk about a film with Daniel Kaluuya Without talking about Get Out I just have to mention Get Out Which is the well, My favourite film of 2017 Conceivably my favourite film Of the last 10, 15, 20 years um, It's Jordan Peele's breakout film um, it's showing Danny Kaluuya and Alison Williams um, and it's about race and prejudice and lots of other things besides and you will never watch The West Wing in the same way again.
1: I am re-watching The West Wing currently and it is a odd moment of disconnect certainly Yes, how about you? So, I've got two, um, once again, very different films. So, uh, we haven't talked too much about Jack Mulligan here. Um, Colin Farrell plays him. And Colin Farrell, I feel, has gone through a couple of career shifts in his time. He started off in, like, British TV, doing Ballock Angel. He moved from oh, there. Oh,
0: yeah. Yeah. Cool.
1: yeah. 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 That was his big break. Um, he moved into doing standard Hollywood Fair. Um, for a long time, he was in Daredevil and he did a bunch of other things. He did some rom coms. Um, Bone and, tooth. and then he shifted um, through doing the movie called The Lobster into making much more serious, much more grown up, much more weird films. Um, and he gets a lot of deserved plaudits for those movies. Things like In Bruges, uh, Seven Psychopaths, um, that kind of thing. He's done a lot of it, The Lobster. He's done some really good, interesting films. And sometimes I feel like that pre-period in which he did Hollywood stuff is kind of brushing the rug a little bit. And in fairness, some of it isn't very good. But I did want to mention one of his films from 2003, which is a film called SWAT. Interestingly, also starring Mr. Rodriguez, but starring him, Sam Jackson, LL Cool J, Jeremy Renner in an early role, and... Um, Essentially, it's a tale of a New York SWAT team who have to deal with a um, drug kingpin who offers a reward for his, like, and every criminal tries to break him out of this SWAT team custody. It is a very run-of-the-mill action movie, but it's a very good one. The cast in it are very, very good, and I think it's forgotten about a lot in terms of Colin Farrell's career, because it was just a early 2000s action film. Um, But if you haven't seen it, I would highly recommend seeing it. It is a good, fun action movie. My second recommendation, um, and I don't think we've mentioned her at all, um, but the character of Belle, who isn't one of the widows, but does get involved in the heist um, through the, the journey of the movie. And she's very much, she comes in in that kind of heist way. She comes in as an expert to... Pull together a lot of the disparate threads of the women's skills and as their driver towards the end. She was in a film from two years ago, which was my film, my top film of 2018, and that is Bad Times at the El Royale. She plays a very sweet singer um, who gets caught up in the machinations of all of the bad people at the El Royale and she's so good in it and her singing is so beautiful and she brings a real softness and a real heart towards an otherwise quite a harsh movie but it is a brilliant movie this is another film that is about bad people doing bad things but it brings a style and aesthetic to it that I really enjoy um, it's another film As I'm always, I'm always saying it's a film that I've kind of forgotten but it's a film that didn't get a lot of love when it came out and I feel has moved beyond consciousness now so I will do my bit to champion it because she is brilliant in it as is everybody else
0: thank you Rob so as we've mentioned before this is us bringing the High genre to a close Um and I hope you've enjoyed our various ventures into it with the earliest Incarnation of Rafifi Right up until Widows Near the present day Um, We're moving on And the final little Mini season of season 4 Is about um, Disney films and their adaptations And We've been doing this in um, Blocks of 10 So we'll be doing 2 blocks of 5 Here um, A Disney film along with Its adaptation the next episode And the first one we're going to be doing is um, one of my favourite Disney films, is the 1967 animation, The Jungle Book.
1: I want to be like you. (laughs) So, guys, you can find us until then, both of us online at Prestige Podcasts.
0: You can find just me, and I have come off Twitter, so you can't find me on Twitter, and... Hold me a minute. we'll find out what the email address is, because I set this up and I really should know. Uh, PrestigeFilmPodcast at gmail.com So, contrary to belief, I will be checking that. And if you want to drop us a line on that, then please do send an email to PrestigeFilmPodcast at gmail.com
1: And you can find me at KaijuFM on Twitter, and we'll be back here in two weeks, guys.